Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Kate Campbell from the Australian Finance Podcast. How are you going? Good, Owen. That's good. We've got a bit of an intro here. Welcome to Shares Month on the Australian Finance Podcast. This month is all about how to analyze stocks or companies like a pro investment analyst. A highly requested series. So over the next weeks, we're going to start with the basics. So we're going to introduce you to a five-step investing checklist um, just to give you a foundation for looking at new companies. And then we're going to apply that checklist to a company that you all know and love, the Walt Disney Company, uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker code DIS. Yep. And then the episode after that's going to be more of an advanced analysis with some of our analysts from the team at Rask Invest. And then finally, we're going to answer all your questions on a special Q&A episode and have a discussion covering a hypothetical $10,000 portfolio where we're all going to get given some hypothetical dollars to invest and four of us, so you'll hear from a few of the analysts from Rask Invest over this series, five-part series, uh, will talk about what companies they would put into their hypothetical portfolio today. Yep. So the rules, we've already had questions on this on the Facebook group. People have said, just tell me when episode five goes live. But no, basically, we're going to have some rules around the $10,000 hypothetical portfolio, kind of just making this up on the spot, but it will be in effect each of the analysts uh, and Kate and myself, so there's two analysts and Kate and myself, we have two and a half thousand hypothetical dollars each, and we can't suggest more than three positions each. Yeah, so there's you can do one, so it might be one position, but you can do three if you want to as well. So it's going to be heaps of fun, and basically we're going to just try and answer all of your questions on share investing. This is what we do at Rask. This is what I love to do. This is what our team loves to do. So um, we love questions. The thing is, when you hear this episode, you're hearing it right now, you need to send us your questions in advance. So the way you would do that is you would go into the Facebook group and use the hashtag shares month, or you would email us the standard way podcast at ras.com.au using all caps, preferably shares month. Because we get so many wonderful questions and comments and feedback from y'all, we need to know which questions and you know, topics that you want to hear about for Shares Month in Shares Month. Yeah. And if you send the questions to us, make sure you're happy for them to be read out loud. We will anonymize them, but read out loud on the podcast. Yeah, because we're going to try and answer as many as we can, probably in about an hour with the four of us. So we want to make it, you know, short, sharp, snappy. We want to answer your questions. So Kate, now that that's done, this (laughs) is the first episode of Shares Month, one of five. Yes. What is today all about? Yeah, so today we wanted to introduce you to a basic five-part share investing checklist so that when you're looking at companies, you can actually have a few questions up your sleeve to um, guide your investigation, essentially. Like analysts, 
they use often a much more complicated checklist than five parts and lots of different tools and techniques, but we've simplified it into sort of five main things you should be looking at. So we'll overview that checklist with you today, and then it'll be applied practically in next week's episode. So so I should say that these are the five points, five points of a checklist that we follow at RASC, but this is the high-level stuff. So this is where it all begins then we dive down under each of these five things and ask many, many more questions, which you're going to learn about as we go through the episode, particularly the episode that we do in two weeks, which is the more advanced one. But Kate, I want to just make sure that we're all on the same page. Every Australian finance podcast listener, everyone in our group knows exactly the first steps. So can you, without being like spending too much time on it, can you tell us how do I buy shares and what are the differences between shares and ETFs? Because we talk about them so much. Yeah. Awesome. So I'd highly recommend if you haven't listened to our earlier episodes, back in the original 10 episodes we did, we did an episode on investing in shares in Australia. Uh, There's also an episode on um, trading versus investing, how to pick and choose um, ASX ETFs um, and some various other episodes. So I'd highly, I'll put them in the show notes, but go back and listen to those because the aim of this episode is to build on that. But essentially, if you want to buy shares in a business, in Australia, that's through the Australian Stock Securities Exchange. I always yep. mess that one up. But you'll need to create a brokerage account. We've got plenty of tutorials and resources yep. on our website and Rask Education to do that. But once you create a brokerage account, you can pick a company that you're interested in. Like what is one of the biggest Telstra. companies in Australia? Yeah, Telstra. And then you can say, hey, I want to buy $1,000 of Telstra. And you can just put an order through your brokerage account. You can tell the brokerage account exactly what price you're willing to pay, how many units you want or how much you want to spend. And then you'll just, for a small fee of maybe $10 or $20, the broker will go and execute that trade for you. And then if all goes well, you're the proud owner of some Telstra shares. Yep. So you're suddenly the part owner of the entire Telstra business, a very small one, but part owner. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've got heaps of episodes on this. We've got a shares, a beginner shares course on Rask Education. We've got an ETF 101 course, by far our most popular course mm. ever released. Even today, our ETF course, even though it's like well over a year old, still gets more enrollments, I feel like, than all of our other courses put together yeah. <laughs> each day. So it's fantastic. It's a great resource. It's all free. Go to Rask Education, find out about that. Kate, why don't I just start with an easy one for you just quickly before I get to the first point, which is... Do you own shares and ETFs or just ETFs or just shares or everything? Yeah, I, I own a bit of everything. I um, I invest in individual shares, so in individual companies. I also use exchange-traded funds, so they're made up of lots of different individual companies. So yeah. the exchange-traded fund will buy and sell the shares in the companies on your behalf. So one of the ETFs I own own shares in the top 200 Australian companies. And I also own ETFs that invest in US companies and emerging markets and things like that. So um, yeah, I use shares. I use ETFs as part of my portfolio. I use a managed fund. Robo-advice. Yeah. And robo-advice that uses um, ETFs to form that portfolio. So investing, you don't have to just pick one option. Yeah. Probably the only thing I don't have is property. But you're going to get a forest in the the future. That's on the cards. (laughs) Kate wants to buy a forest. But I do own property and infrastructure through one of my ETFs. Um, I know we had a question on REITs recently, so we can answer that in a future Q&A. But uh, yeah, so today we're just going to specifically focus on shares for this month because we've had so much interest. 
and yeah, and we've got the other resources as well. So I'd encourage you because this episode is going to get a bit more advanced through the series to go back, do our beginner shares course and listen to our previous episodes. Yep, sure. And you can do some of those courses in less than 60 minutes. That's the, I feel like that's a world record for some people doing the ETF course. Um, <laughs> maybe that was before we added some lessons, but um, yeah, you can do them real quick and you can come back. So you can basically spend all of May becoming a guru of investing. And mm. what would be really cool is if you could donate 15 minutes or 30 minutes of your time to learning about share investing for the month. And I'd all but guarantee that by the end of the month, you'll know more than almost everyone in your circles. It is that quick that you can get on the track and learn as quickly as you can. And you can t- take in so much in such a short period of time and you'll have your whole life to benefit from it. Okay, Kate. Without further ado, without I further think we ado, need to get into this checklist. Checklist, checklist. <laughs> okay, there's five parts. Yeah. Okay, the first one. The first one, Owen, is what does the company actually do? Yeah, okay. So this is really basic. Peter Lynch says that owning stocks is like having kids. Don't get involved with more than you can handle. <laughs> what was really interesting about Peter Lynch is he had um, at times over a thousand stocks, I believe. So he must have mm. had a lot of kids. But the reality is behind every share, and this is the thing that we're going to talk about a lot, not just me, but all the analysts, shares represent something. They yeah. are not just random things that go up in your self-wealth or your ComSec account. They are actual ownership of businesses. Now, short-term traders are different to investors. Investors like me and like you, we see ownership of a company. If you buy one little share of um, Amazon, then you own a tiny, tiny little bit of Amazon, (laughs) actual company, and you benefit when it makes more profit. But if you're a trader, you don't really care what you're buying. You just want to make sure that it goes up. It's a bit of a different thing. We're investors because we believe that works. So what does the company do? The easiest way you can find out what it does is just Google the company. Yeah. Literally just like, what does Tesla do? And then you can find heaps and heaps of different resources. But if you're stuck, a simple step is go to the About Us page Yeah. and start from the top and work down. Mm. Okay, it makes cars. Okay, it makes batteries. Okay, it does the power wall. Okay, then what are all those things? How do they make them? Where do they make them? And you can find out all that on the website, on YouTube, and most importantly, if you, this is a, an inside nudge, and I know Catherine, our analyst, is going to talk about this next week, but there are two places you can go. The first is if you're looking at an Australian company, just go into the brokerage account or go to the company's investor relations section of its website, find the annual report. Mm. Obviously, being annual, it's issued once a year. Look at the, the first, I don't know, say five to 10 pages. Read through them, you'll find the director's reports, which effectively are the director's overview of the company for the year. One thing I like to do is before I do that, actually, I just go to YouTube and try and find some product demonstration videos. So I actually understand the product before they start talking about it in your report. The second place is if you're investing in US companies. So there's Australian companies on the Australian stock exchange and there's US companies on the US stock exchanges. Um, You don't have to be a US company to be on the US stock exchange. For example, like Unilever would be on there. But what you do is in the US, they don't issue what's called an annual report. Even though it is an annual report, they call it a 10K. They use a combination of numbers and letters, 10K. Now, I was saying to the guys yesterday that a 10K in the US from the US stock companies is so much better than the annual report that we get in Australia because the first 30 pages of a 10K in the US, they have to tell you exactly who the competitors are, what the risks are, what the industry is. How, like the threats that they face during the year, they have to tell you all that legally. So you can go in there and the first 30 pages tell you everything, literally everything you should know before you buy shares. So um, Catherine's going to talk about circle of competence next week. But basically, you know, one of my first investments was NAB. 
because I knew the brand, because I walked past it every day. One of my later investments was a company called QBE, which does insurance. And one of them after that was Rio Tinto, which does iron ore. I thought I knew a lot about all of those businesses, but I didn't. <laughs> the circle of competence is about knowing what you know and trying to stick to the industries and the companies that you know well. Yeah. And even if you work in a specific industry, it might give you a unique edge for sort of understanding the businesses in that industry a little bit better than someone off the street would. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just one of those things. Some of the the best investors are people who only invest in their industry or who get shares in the company they work for and they realize that this is a really good company and it's growing fast. I'm going to see if I can get shares in the company that I work for. It's called an equity program. And they hold on to those shares for as long as they work for the company and see it grow. And if all we did as investors was find out what it does <laughs> and make sure that people like the product, then we'd, we'd find that our investing would be so much better. Like there's, a, there's a, a thing from the US, I don't want to make this too complicated, but there's a thing from the US that effectively says, if you can make a product that's 10 times better or 10 times cheaper, you're almost like your company's almost guaranteed to be a success. You have mm-hmm. to do it sustainably. You can't just be like, oh, it's Bitcoin, it's better than everything else that's ever been invented. You can you actually have to have something that is sustainable, but if you can do that, good on you. Yeah, and I think that sort of leads us into the next point. It gives you a really good foundation. If you know what the company does, you understand the, the business model, the different like big companies often have many different revenue sources. They might have completely different products all under one banner, so it might take a long time. And I guess as we'll talk about in our episode next week, yeah, one company can have thousands of different little subsidiaries that's underneath it. And that's it. What makes the, that's what makes you feel overwhelmed when you start researching. But don't. Just start with the product. Start yeah. with the service. And then go to the annual report. Yeah, pick something that you love and that you use. And that's a often if people want to get interested in investing in how to research it, I, I often mention just pick something that you use every day because you already understand the consumer side of things and then go from there. But you said just off air a minute ago that someone that you heard about would buy shares in the companies that they buy products from. Yeah. Because it was like forced savings and it forced them to invest in the businesses that create the things that they love. Yeah. So if you just invested in the things that you love, sure, some of them won't work out and that is investing. Some won't work out no matter how much research you do. But if you just found things that you love and other people loved, you're on a pretty good track to to being a good investor. Yeah. Awesome. So the next part of the checklist is who runs the company? Yeah. So this might come as a huge surprise to a lot of people, but the name Rask, R-A-S-K, is actually part of my surname. Yeah, which Shocker. most people think your surname is Rask. Yeah, they they think that's my full name. But um, I see the company that we run as an extension of myself, right? So and I know you know this, Kate, because we, we talked about this just even today. Like the number one thing that's important to me when I run the business is making sure that our customers, that our members, that our readers, everyone gets a good service, Right. Now, if I wasn't the person running this company, if RAS was just some weird name and there was some hired CEO who didn't own shares in the company that they ran, I would be concerned about the future well-being of the company. So I guess, you know, a good analogy would be like if you own a bakery and I know heaps of people that do own bakeries or cake shops and we've had Alicia on the podcast before, they're so damn happy and in love with their product, right, that you could just look at them and you could be like, wow, you are impressive. I would invest with you just simply because you're so passionate, right? And so then us as investors, we got to look at it through that same lens, but just apply it to a bigger company. 
So who runs Tesla? Everyone knows that it's Elon Musk. If Elon didn't run Tesla, then you might think that the company's worth slightly less because it doesn't have that flair, that entrepreneurship. Yeah. Or if Kathy Wood didn't run ARK Investment, you would think, well, Kathy's not there anymore. I, the company is nowhere near as good, right? And so paying attention to who runs the company is one of the fundamental things behind any type of investing. It doesn't matter if you're going down the street and you want to buy a local cafe. Look at the way that the owner acts. Look at what they're incentivized by. What are they doing? It's the same thing with an investing, you know, investment in any company. So if you want to find out, for example, who runs Tesla, you'd uh, not Tesla, Telstra in Australia, you would go to the About Us page on the Telstra page and you'd find the executive team. I mean, you'd look at uh, the board of directors. So for those who don't know, the board oversees the strategy and tells the CEO what they effectively can and can't do. But then the CEO executes on that strategy each and every day. And they're in charge of that. So you would want to make sure that the person who runs a company owns some of it, which Catherine will talk about next week. And Disney's a really good example. And you want to make sure that they have incentives that align with your incentives. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if you are a long-term investor, like we are, say 10 to 20 years, if you want to own share a share in a single company for 10 to 20 years, make sure that the person who runs the company is also incentivized to make the investment work out for you. And the way you do that is you look at how many shares they own in the company they run. That's called skin in the game and how much salary and how they earn their salary. I think Catherine's going to bring up an example next week, but imagine that you earn $100,000 and 50% of your wage each year was depending on your performance. What would that do? Yeah, it would really force you to work harder, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so we got to do that, but we just apply that for the CEOs and the board members to find out uh, these are called long-term incentives or LTIs. We want to make sure there's more LTIs than STIs, which is short-term incentives. Yeah, and that's the basics of it. So Catherine's got some other examples, which she'll bring up next week, but we need to find out who runs it. Um, if you look at Reese, you know, the company that sells plumbing products, that's, I won't say the name maybe, but um, that's run by a family behind the scenes. If you look at ARB, that stands for Anthony Ronald Brown. So you probably see ARB in red letters around the place or on four-wheel drives because they make the best bull bars in the world. That was started in late 70s, I believe. And so these are companies that are on the stock exchange that have families and founders that run them. And you can invest alongside those founders and family members. I was talking to a CEO last week for our Rockets program and he said, you know, we own 45% of the, the company. He's talking about him and his immediate like two or three founders. And he said, we, we came onto the stock market because we wanted to give other investors a chance to come along for the ride. It's super cool. If you trust him, by extension, you're investing in whatever he says and goes. Yeah. And al- along with the skin in the game aspect, I think another important thing when you're finding out who runs it of like the board and the CEO is actually looking at their history and yeah, the companies yeah. they've been associated and involved with prior to that. I yep. mean, if the chairperson of the board has this companies that have done really well in his wake or she's got companies that have, yeah, haven't done as well, like it's really interesting to know that sometimes people have a, a train of destruction. Yeah, that's it. Or they haven't really been involved at a higher level type of business before. So it's really interesting. So then you've got to take the risk on them, right? Yeah. And so imagine it like this. If you have $1,000 that you're going to invest as per your thing at the start, if you have $1,000 to invest and you're going to invest in the company, you're effectively saying, here you go, Kate, I'm going to invest in your company. I need you to take care of this for me. That's effectively what you're doing. But people get lost because they think it's really un- difficult to 
judge management from a distance. Mm-hmm. Some of the things you can do, Catherine will go through them again, go to glassdoor.com, which is a place where you can see employee reviews and they have a they have a thing there that shows this the approval rating for the CEO. You can go to the Seek Companies page. So you go Seek, like we find a job, but you go to the company's version of that. Um, and you find the company in Australia and you see how many people actually like to work there and other disgruntled employees. That's an insight into culture. You know, and then we've got skin in the game. That's another one. Then you can troll them on, maybe not troll them, but stalk them on LinkedIn or yeah. um, find out. Like we had a CEO for one of our companies who described himself as technology CEO. So not insert name of company CEO or passionate founder of, it was technology CEO. And so he didn't last very long. He left and I think he's gone to another company now. But you can get these really subtle cues from just looking. And yeah, and they've probably done it, I'm like surely they've done an interview at some point in their career that you can find online. I mean, everything's findable on YouTube now. Even like search their name on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you might find a podcast interview which may give you some insight into how they operate. Yeah, one of the CEOs that we invested in and I own shares in this company, full disclosure, is called Pushpay. I better write that down before I forget. Pushpay, what I, I knew about the company because it did digital gift, uh, giving and we know we've talked about Pushpay before on the show. It's on the ASX PPH, it's the ticker code. Um but I, I heard a podcast with their founder many, many, many years ago and the way he described the way he um, like, uh, managed his team was kind of like profound for me at the time. So one of the things he said is that everyone in our team knows that there's a time to be here and a time not to be here. There will be certain managers that are here for a certain period of time and there will be a time when I'm not here because I'm not the right person for the job. And sure enough, a few years later he left. But that insight from that podcast many years ago gave me insight into who he was and how he thought about those types of things. So I wasn't too worried when he left. But that, yeah, that's just an example of how you can effectively be your own Sherlock Holmes (laughs) and go about investigating these companies. Yeah. And it can get really fun investigating and looking for all these different signals. This is the fun part of investing. Yeah. You know, this is the really cool bit. Okay. Now point three on our checklist is what's the company's moat? Yes. Okay. So moat is, if you think about a castle, a castle is the business. It's like a giant bakery. Um, the moat is the ring of water that goes around a medieval castle and protects the the castle from attack. So the, yeah. the soldiers in their really heavy chain armor could never get to the gates and bang down the door because there was a ring of water around if they got if they got stuck and had that drown. So think of a moat as the thing that protects the castle. Think of a moat as the thing that protects the business. So let's use a really good example, which is three cafes side by side. They are all identical cafes. There's Kate's Cafe, there's Owen's Cafe, and there's uh, Ras Cafe, right? There's three different cafes. Yeah. Now, I, being a super, I, well, I think I'm a super shrewd business owner, I go out and I say, you see this coffee right here, Kate? I'm now going to charge $7 for a large coffee instead of $5. Well, you as the next cafe along the street, you'll be like, no, I'm going to keep it where it is. And the other cafe is like, yeah, I'm going to keep it where it is. So then all the customers are just going to go to the cheaper cafe because they're identical right? Now, if I had some special herbs and spices in my coffee, or if I had some sort of patent over this particular type of coffee that only you could only get it at this store in Australia, then the customers would still come, right? But I'd be making more money than you. And the difference is that I have a moat around my business. Moats can come in many shapes and sizes and forms. The most obvious example is Facebook, who has what we call a network effect, and a network effect is effectively the more people that use a product, the more powerful it becomes and more valuable. So 
more people that use Instagram owned by Facebook, the more people that use WhatsApp owned by Facebook, the more people that use Facebook owned by Facebook, the more people <laughs> that use Messenger owned by Facebook, the more valuable all of those things yeah. become. And so that is its moat because no one else can come in and be like, hey, we've got 3 billion users. Yeah, the effort to for the, to find another 3 billion people to sign up for a new platform and to integrate, like Facebook is integrated with so many different platforms. Like you just go to sign up for an account on another platform and it will go sign up with Facebook. Like there's so many integrations that it's very hard to unpick all of that and go with a new company. Totally. So let me give you another example. And this is for all the, the young men and women out there that may be thinking about some nuptials is if you go to Tiffany, right? If you go to Tiffany and get an engagement ring, you buy a $20,000 engagement ring. You're getting a $5,000 diamond in a $15,000 box. The boxes are great though. The box is great, right? <laughs> but that is because they sell the same piece of rock. That you can but, get at Swarovski or something yeah, like that for a quarter of the price. Exactly. And you, you get the box. So here's a hack. If one of your mates has been a sucker and gone and got a Tiffany thing, ask for the box and go and buy a ring from Zamels or online, go direct to a wholesale like you I You can buy the boxes online from and the bags there from all go. these like Chanel and Gucci and Tiffany. There's a market for selling the packaging. There you go. So, <laughs> But that's Tiffany's competitive advantage. Yeah. It's called an intel- uh, intangible uh, competitive advantage. It's otherwise known as a brand. Yeah. The brand is its advantage. So that's why when you go into a Tiffany store, you know, all the good stuff is the yeah. things that you see. You and all the, the crap stuff is somewhere at the back. standing out the front, giving, yeah. the, the, giving you that feel of, I don't know, superiority that you can afford to buy something at Tiffany's and the staff and the way they're dressed, it all sort of adds up into that brand and personality. And to think that you, you're the person that can buy something from Tiffany, it, it does set it apart from just buying a 1000 or $2,000 item somewhere else. Yeah, 100%. So that's another example of a company with what we would call a wide moat. So... A moat effectively protects the castle from all-out attack. Or when it does suffer all-out attack, it can have a time advantage. So it has time to react. That is a moat, and that's what we look for. We only invest in companies with moats. A lot of investors go and buy insert company name because they think it's a good investment. Like some companies on the ASX that promise huge, amazing things, but they actually just promises. They don't actually have something that's pure purely defendable and sustainable. So we are looking to invest for 10 or 20 years. I would say you would not achieve good results if you don't buy companies that have a moat. Or this is the key insight. This is where we spend most of our time. Not necessarily has a moat today, but what's the Tiffany of the future? That's what we're trying to find. And that's where we spend our time. And even if your company has a moat today, can they keep on top of that over the 20 years? That's it. And so what does the CEO or management team do to protect and widen the moat. So think about them being in the trenches, digging out that moat and making sure it's as wide as possible. And sometimes that means that the companies aren't sexy. Sometimes the companies are boring. Sometimes the best companies in the world put glue inside of nappies and that's their only thing that they do. And if they tried to do anything else, they would lose. So they stay inside the moat. And that nappy example is actually a real company, but yeah, you get the idea. (laughs) So yeah, that's checklist number three. So checkpoint number three, we have, what does it do? That's number one. Who runs it? The management, number two. And the competitive advantage, a.k.a. the moat, is number three. Okay, so we're on to number four. Is this company in a growing industry? So this is important to us um, at RASC because we are investing for a very long period of time. If you look at the studies that show uh, over, you know, say anything from 30 years or more, so very long historical analysis, what you do tend to find is dividends 
those checks you get in the mail or in the past, or now you get direct deposits, hopefully. <laughs> You've done that through your share registry. What the studies show is that around 50% of the returns that an average investor gets, an average investor, comes from the dividends, right? But what you'll also know if you've been investing for long enough and you look at, say, like the ASX 200 or the Dow Jones or the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100 in the UK, these are all stock market indices or measures. If you go long enough, the chart almost always, almost always, looks like it goes bottom left to top right. When you go onto, when you're on Google Finance and you hit like all time. Yeah, all time. Suddenly the chart goes from one day to 20 or 30 years. It's very different. And what you find is that bottom left to top right is that's the key to your long-term investing success. And there are many things that influence that. But the, the key insight here is that if you zoom in to any one day, the chance is like a flip of the coin. Is it going to be up or is it going to be down? But if you zoom out, right out, you will find that more often than not, the share market goes up. And so people always say, oh, well, it's a zero-sum game, Owen, meaning that there's a buyer for every seller. Well, I would say, uh, what? If you actually look, it's not a zero-sum game. Even though someone else has a different opinion to you and when they sell you your sh- their shares, you buy the shares and you think something different, what actually happens if you buy good companies, it's not a zero-sum game. It is not. And so, you know, what we find is that, um, you know, if we focus on really high-quality companies and growing industries, we believe that we can tip the odds in our favor of finding some really good companies. And our belief is that definitely not every company we buy is going to be a success. So if we get four, this is this is how this is how the math works. If we get four out of 10 really good companies, we're going to make a shed load of money. Just four out of 10, meaning that six could go wrong. And the reason is, and this is a very, I, this is bounded around, I don't like to use this, but I'm going to use it now, is people say you can lose 100% of your money on stocks. True, but you can make a lot more than 100% of your money. But the only way I believe that you can do that sustainably is if you invest in great companies for a very, very long period of time. Because if you have one great company that you've thoroughly researched and you own it for 20 years and it grows, even if it lasts 20 years, that's the great thing, chances are that investment is going to be worth more than 10 others that you've made. So the point is that the the really good companies outweigh the losers. And in a growing industry, there's a saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. So what we try and do is we try and find companies that in an industry, a sector, or some part of the market that is naturally growing. So people are like, automation, artificial intelligence creates this new chip, right? The reality is that not every company that you pick will do well. So what we try and identify is what are the things that are going to change people's lives? I remember I was amazed when I heard Bill Gates say, yeah, we wanted to put, we called it a desktop because it was like the desktop you have at home. I was like, holy shit, someone actually come up with that? That is amazing. This person influenced the world. Yeah. Like you, you, you're like, wow, that is so cool. right? He was calling it a desktop because it looked like his desktop at home. And here I was over in Australia with a dial-up internet connection in my back room trying to connect to the internet, <laughs> calling it a desktop. I don't know why, but we're trying to find those people and those companies that change the world for the better. And that is super exciting. And to do that, we, they need to grow. So we're trying to find those growing industries like cloud computing, um, automation, low-code environments, um, you know, genomics or um, any insert 
cool, innovative thing, we're trying to invest in those. Yeah, and you're trying to pick some of the winners among the the growing industries of growing consumer demand and business yeah. demand and what people actually want. But we're not. But this is the thing where, people, especially new investors, get wrong is we're not just getting suckered in by some story. Mm-hmm. These companies actually have to be legitimate companies. So they already have to have positive cash flow. They already have to be selling a great product. We have to be able to speak to clients or customers of those companies in order to know that it's actually real. There are some companies on the ASX, um, not to timestamp this conversation too much, but there are some companies on the ASX right now and in the US market and in global markets that are just built on fluff. So you've got to be smart. And there's always, whatever happens, there's always going to be scammers out there or people with bad intentions and that's, that's part of the whole thing. You're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to try and see through some of the noise and, and see if the company's actually doing what they're saying they're doing. You'll probably talk with Kev a bit about this further on. But as a side note, I, was, I listened to a really interesting podcast series recently called The Dropout about Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, the a company that was valued at billions of dollars that went to zero. It wasn't listed, but it was just, it sold a dream, it sold a story, but at the end of the day, the technology just couldn't work. The world wasn't advanced enough to do that. So sometimes things sound amazing and glossy and like they're going to change the world on the outside, but maybe technology just hasn't caught up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and this is the thing. She sucked in so many of the world's wealthiest people into investing in a company. They were supposed to be able to test 200 different diseases and things from one or two drops of blood. Yes, amazing, outrageous. <laughs> but um, I think she had crazy eyes. If That's my opinion. I think she had crazy eyes. If I was to see her presenting, I'd be like, mm, crazy eyes, don't want to invest but in that. she raised a billion dollars. Like People believed in her story. And so sometimes I think that's it just reminds you to be a little bit sceptical when looking at like the visionary companies. Just um, you want to see what's actually going on in the hood. Do the, does the technology actually work? And... Uh, have, have there been customer success stories or is there something else happening behind the scenes? And you, you can't always find out. Yeah. It, and the thing is we cop a lot of crap at RASC because we call out a lot of these companies early. Like we say, we try and research and we're like, to be honest, it doesn't look like a legitimate business. And then we report on it or we write about it on our news sites. And then everyone on every Facebook forum or Reddit sub thread they're like just acting like as mad as a cut snake. They're just going nuts about how dare we say something so bad. People get very passionate. If they Super think they know it. one thing about the company or they've put all their hard-earned money into it because you, we yeah. keep telling people not to do this, but everybody, there's always cases of people putting every single dollar they own into one single company, yeah. which is no, that yeah, is it's, bad. It's, it's my only $5,000. It's worth it. And they will defend it on Twitter. They'll <laughs> defend it on it. Reddit. They'll defend it on Facebook with yeah. every ounce they of their being. troll us, yeah. And the thing is, right, this is what I always say to, like, and you know these people when you come across them because they've got, like, Hirsch, crazy eyes. Um, they are so angry when they type into the keyboard that they don't even get their words right and – the thing is, this is what I always say, is that you can't will the stock price higher. No matter what you think, <laughs> no matter what you believe, it does not make a difference. The, the stock on- price doesn't care about you <laughs> yes, individually yeah. and yeah. your hard-earned money invested in the it. The only thing you can do is try to act rationally. We're all not rational, shocker, but the only thing you can do is try. Sure, you can make money off every other bozo who thinks, like who's getting sold a dream, like there's every charlatan snake oil salesman out there, but... The reality is it doesn't care about you and if someone else says something negative, you should actually embrace that because 
if you truly believe what you say you believe, then you would embrace the negativity and hopefully buy more when it falls. So yeah, I don't get that. Anyway, okay. that was number four. Is it a gro- <laughs> in a growing industry? You can make money in falling industries, but we prefer growing industries. Yeah. Okay. And the fifth part of our checklist is what's the company's valuation? So what should the company be reasonably valued at? Yeah. So I'll give you a story to illustrate this point. Microsoft, we talked about desktops before. I don't own Microsoft shares, but we talked about Microsoft before. You know it. We know it. We we don't use it at work, but chances are you do. And you could have bought Microsoft shares in the dot-com boom, which is like the late 90s when the internet was a thing. Mm. And you could have bought shares at a price and then the dot-com, dot-com boom busted. So it was a dot-com bust and the share price fell. A lot of the companies went broke. Amazon would have probably gone broke if it hadn't have sold shares before the, uh, before the bust. So a lot of companies went bust, right? And so the stock price of Microsoft fell. It would have taken, I think it was about eight, maybe eight to 10 years before the stock price got back to what you would have bought it for. This is the big, one of the biggest companies in the world today. Mm-hmm. And you paid a price initially, yeah, now you probably think, oh, what a genius I was. I, <laughs> I still own it today. But the reality is most people who bought it at that price didn't understand the value like the difference between the share price or stock price at the time and what it was actually worth based on like the future growth of the business would have told you that it was overvalued, right? And so what you need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen is firstly find a great company. In this instance, Microsoft is a tremendous company, right? Um, And the second price is try and understand what it's worth. I say try because people believe that investing is about spreadsheets, Sure, you need to understand some accounting, but there's a saying that we have is, which is that you're better off being generally correct than specifically wrong. If you try and, um, and, and a lot of beginner investors who are on this kind of t- campaign to be their own investor do this, they're like, they believe, and I believe this for so long, that there is a formula that tells you exactly what the price you should pay and what you should get out at. There's not. Shocker, there's not. You can, you can be generally correct, but people who put that first generally make mistakes. The biggest mistake that they make if they focus on valuation too much is they never buy the company. They find a tremendous company ticking all the boxes that we've just talked about and then they get to valuation like, hmm, it seems expensive. Shocker, the best companies are almost always expensive. So you've got to determine if it's okay to pay this price. Not necessarily, is it a bargain? Charlie Munger, who's the side side piece of Warren Buffett and arguably the best investor of all time, like maybe except for Buffett. But if you look at Charlie Munger and what he says, um, it's profound every time he speaks. And one of the things that he said many, many years ago is, it's better to own a wonderful business at a reasonable price than a reasonable business at a wonderful price. And you want to own great businesses. Um, first and foremost, if you can get them, at a reasonable price, buy them. And the way that we kind of work around this is we do our valuations and we understand what the business does, which in the next two episodes, you'll find out how we do those valuations. But the the key point is that you don't have to buy your full position straight away. So you can, in the case of Microsoft back in the 90s, you could have been like, okay, I'm going to put $5,000 in today if you had, say, $15,000 to invest. And then in a year, I'm going to put in another $5,000. And then the year after that, I'm going to put in another $5,000. And that's my full position. If you did that, sure, the stock price could have kept going up. You would have kicked yourself. 
But if it fell, then you would have got a better price. If it fell again, you would have got a better price again. And then today you'd be sitting on massive gains from your investment. And the key point there is that you don't have to rush your investment. The time You can take the time to make sure that you, you let the company do what it says it's doing before you invest your full amount. Um, so you can minimize your downside and maximize your upside. The, the foremost dangerous words in investing are uh, this time it's different. But the second uh, foremost dangerous words of investing are buy low, sell high. We talk about this all the time and I think so many of our listeners love this, that we say this. It's not buy low, sell high. It's buy low, buy more. Um, <laughs> or it's accumulate, Yeah, one word. I think we get so – we talk about dollar cost averaging a lot for exchange-traded funds and investing on a regular basis, but I never – I don't really hear people talking much about it with shares. And so often you go, this is my 5000 that's it. Whether it goes up or down, that's all I'm putting in this company. Whereas if you love the company, it's doing great things, it's growing, like over a 20-year period, why wouldn't you buy more? Yeah, that's it. And people – because this is something that we do. It's called anchoring bias. Mm. We anchor to a particular price. You know, like there's one thing, and this is not the way we invest, but there's this belief in technical trading, which is like, or trading, which is the opposite of what I do. They believe that there's a thing called support or resistance. And there's a study that somewhere, some once upon a time showed that there tends to be support and resistance around whole numbers, $10, Mm. $11, $15. (laughs) We do like whole numbers. (laughs) We do like whole numbers. But the reality is that, yeah, that's not really a thing. And people believe that, you know, if I paid $10 in the past, that the share price being $20 now, it's expensive. But here is the thing, and this is what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, is at $10, it might have been worth $20. So you got a bargain because you bought it at a reasonable valuation. But then when it went to 20 the business has grown. So now it's worth $30, you're paying 20 So you're still getting a good deal even though it's going up. And the way I describe it is if you know what you're doing, valuation is like the handlebars. You are in control of your investing. If you don't understand it, then it can be pretty unwieldy. But just know that it's not that difficult. And I would rather, if you gave me the choice today, Kate, of knowing how to value companies or knowing how to research them, like just understand their products and services, far and away, every time I would pick just knowing how to research a company. Yeah. And that's so often we get caught up in that the valuation and the specific number of the yeah. share price. And we don't actually look at, well, what's the company actually done over the last few years? How's it been growing? What's it been doing? What has it been acquiring? Yeah. So one of the things I want everyone to take away from this is that share investing is investing in companies. It is super fun. You are basically the Sherlock Holmes of the business world. You get to understand brilliant businesses. And if you get miffed by investing or you don't understand the valuation part, just make your portfolio, and this is a David Gardner from the US line, Motley Fool co-founder, just make your investment portfolio reflect your best version of the future and just hold on. And if you do that for the next 20 years, I'm almost certain, I can't say guarantee because you can't say that in finance, but I'm almost (laughs) certain that your portfolio will be bigger in 20 years than it is today. And if people just found great companies and gave them the time to hold on, to execute, I think that your investing would be so much easier. So yeah, I mean, we could keep rattling on, Kate, but valuation, we have so much to say on this. Um, We have courses on RASC Education, a free valuation course, the Value Investor Program, which is the full training on um, how to value companies. But you don't have to pay for that. Like that's a paid product. There's a free version. You can do that. Um, (laughs) 
there are our podcasts, the finance podcast, there's the investors podcast we have, all of these things we talk about. There are great books. Just, yeah, go and apply some of the knowledge from those and you'll you'll be right. And have fun with it. Enjoy the research process and diving into the numbers and that will easily, that will quickly tell you if you want to be a share investor, whether you want to be someone that's interested in specific companies and what they're up to and keeping track of how they're changing and growing over time. And Can I just throw one in there? Yeah. Which is the really simple thing that we came back to at the start of the show, which is that you invest in shares, you've got a robo-advisor, you've got ETFs, you've got a managed fund. You can just have your share investments as the thing that you do um, with 5% of your money, 10% of your money, 30% of your money. You can make it the smaller part of your money that's more exciting. And then you have the core, which is your ETFs, your managed funds, your robot funds, your super fund, your property. That's that side of things. But, you know, I know, I believe that investing in individual companies works. But more than that, I just love to, to understand how the world works. And you do that through investing in businesses and understanding how the economy changes businesses and people react on the certain things. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think that brings our five-point checklist to the end. And I'm excited for next week's episode where I'm going to be working with one of our analysts at Rask Invest, Catherine Go, and we're going to apply some of the things we talked about in today's checklist to the Walt Disney Company, which is a company we all know and love. So that's really exciting. And so stay tuned for that episode. And then following that episode, we'll have an advanced analysis episode with Owen and one of our other analysts, Kevin. And then we've got our Q&A episode, so don't forget to send any questions to podcast at rask, R-A-S-K, dot com dot au, um, with shares month in the subject line, and we'll include them in our Q&A episode. And then we'll have our $10,000 hypothetical portfolio after that. Yep. So it should be an exciting month of episodes. Yeah, every Monday afternoon, tune in. We are going, you know, we're pushing these episodes out, and we love to know what you think. If there's a question you have about share investing, please let us know. This is rare that we've got two people coming on the podcast from RAS that have never been on a podcast before. They require a little bit of convincing. So. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know if they're convinced. <laughs> you better enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, so, so send us your questions. It's going to be a rare, it's, it is a rare occasion when all of us get to sit down and answer your questions. So, you know, from all of us, just make it, make it fun, make it a good question. Ask the thing that you've always wanted to ask. Remembering that we do have heaps of um, questions on brokerage accounts. You can go to the Rask Education site. You can take our Shares for Beginners course. You can just Google Rask and brokerage mm. accounts and things will come up. All of these things, you know, um, are really exciting, but we really just want to hear about shares and companies and all that sort of stuff. So we'll be bringing more of that um, your way. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me on the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rask.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.